Hey, Nick. Um, so we've got a week until the show launches. I know the topic is starting or beginnings. What we need to figure out or what I need your help with is just what our angle is. What what exactly are we saying? And actually, literally, like, we remember talking about this meta show, like the Big Bang, where there was sort of nothing, but then everything came from it. The show literally could start with us talking about, like, all right, so we're doing a show on beginnings. Where do we start? Did you know that you can still hear the Big Bang? Like, the Big Bang. If you turn on an old radio or TV and tune in to just static, about 1% of that white noise you hear is relic radiation from the creation of the universe. So every time you hear static, you are hearing the start of something new, a wonderful explosion of life that is infinitely expanding. Everybody talks about finishing, right? Like, you know, it's not important how you start, it's how you finish. You know, like, it's a marathon, not a race. Like, people talk about that all the time. So I almost feel like I want to call that out as well. And from a place of like, yeah, finishing is really important. You know, obviously, if you start something, you don't finish, it doesn't matter. And starting matters as well. Well, the start of something is its origin story, like Peter Parker getting bitten by a radioactive spider or Steve Austin being rebuilt into the bionic man. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. Isn't the Big Bang the ultimate origin story? The start of everything? So that seems like a great way to start this podcast, right now. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, sports, and pop culture. On this week's show, beginnings? Beginnings. Beginnings. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. There is a saying, it's not how you start that matters, but how you finish. But what if how you finish is in fact dictated by how you start? Like, there's a lot of stuff that talks about our origins and how much weight we give to how things started. Like, people want to understand, like, how did we get here? How did it all start? Have you ever noticed that when looking back on our day, on our life, on our relationships, we always want to go to the start? How did this begin? We have a natural tendency to want to understand our beginnings. And in many ways, we use our origins to define us. I have a friend who was an accident. His nearest sibling is 10 years his senior, and somehow that matters. His parents are incredible, he's always been treated as welcomed and loved, and yet somehow it still matters that he wasn't planned. We see it in the movies, from 1955's Guys and Dolls to 1999's She's All That. One character starts dating another based on a bet, then in the process they fall in love and everything is amazing. And then he or she finds out that it actually started as a bet, and they're pissed. Suddenly the most important thing is not how they feel, but how it started. My bet? My bet? Am I a f***ing bet? And we see in our lives. We see in our thoughts and our beliefs. We ask, where did these come from? Or our business fails and we wonder, where did it start going wrong? Or our business succeeds and we want to share how did it begin. You know, even this show, people always want to know how it started. How did Nick and I meet? What was the genesis of the idea? Why are we so fascinated with these origin stories? 
I grew up reading comic books, and in the world of superheroes, the origin stories are sacred. So perhaps there's some insight there. In her Smithsonian Magazine article titled The Psychology Behind Superhero Origin Stories, clinical psychologist Robin Rosenberg talks about the power of these origin stories. She says, I think origin stories show us not how to become super, but how to be heroes, choosing altruism over the pursuit of wealth and power. And goes on to say, at their best, superhero origin stories inspire us and provide models of coping with adversity, finding meaning in loss and trauma, discovering our strengths, and using them for good purpose. But just because you can beat him up doesn't give you the right to. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. Perhaps in our origin story, in our beginnings, we find strength, empathy, meaning. As we said in the Who Are You episode, see, we don't just tell stories. Stories tell us. They shape our thoughts and memories. Our stories will become who we are. So if that's true, we can't just be looking back on our origin stories. We need to actively craft them as they happen. People are so interested in the start, looking back. It dictates that people do think the beginning is really important, but I don't know if they give the beginning that same weight when they're in it. I feel like they look back on it and go, oh, wow, it really mattered. Wait, 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 wait. That's, that's how we should have started the show. That's it. It's about how you start. How you start matters because it impresses on everything that follows. Okay, let's, let's try this again. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, sports, and pop culture. On this week's show, we sort through the chaos to uncover why how you start matters. Ooh, that's good. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. There is a saying, it's not how you start that matters, but how you finish. But what if how you finish is in fact dictated by how you start? And I've had this idea for years as well. I, mean, I used to always say that the first 20 minutes of your day set the tone for the entire day. So if you wake up and you put on the news and watch a bunch of shit, like you're, that's setting the tone for your day, right? right. But like maybe it's like a 3000 meter where you stumble out of the blocks, you still have a chance, but how you start is now going to really like dictate everything as well. It's almost like uh, the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect is based on a 1963 study by meteorologist Edward Lorenz. Here, speaker Andy Andrews breaks it down. It's crazy. The butterfly effect stated that a butterfly could flap its wings on one side of the world and set molecules of air in motion that moved other molecules of air that would eventually move other molecules of air that could eventually create a hurricane on the other side of the planet. The butterfly effect. Today, it is scientifically a part of chaos theory and known as the sensitive dependence on initial conditions. It is a phenomenon in which a small deviation in the initial condition of a dynamic system results in large changes in later conditions. Author Mary Axness gives us a great analogy here to understand this concept. Think about throwing a pebble into a lake. The variations in its path and destination are virtually unlimited, and where it lands will dictate the entire effect of its ripple. And so, a millimeter to the left, thrown a tad slower or faster, a higher or lower arc, and the entire ripple changes. Nothing in its infinite expression will be identical. 
Now imagine this pebble is us, and those variables are our actions, emotions, thoughts, attitude, approaches, everything. Human beings are dynamic systems, so doesn't it make sense that small shifts in how we begin things would impact all that follows as well? Or as Mary Axness put it, the beginning of anything has within it the seeds of the totality of that thing. But my fact-based wild speculation is, ha is and always has been that how you start your day sets the tone for your entire day. And how you start anything sets the tone. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. You can, you can shift it. You can move it. And so our beginnings, our starts, cannot just be origin stories we tell later on. As Plato said, the beginning is the most important part of the work. We must treat each start as if it is the most critical part of the journey. Well, so often when you're in it, you don't know that it's the start of something. Ah, uh, that's a great point, Nick. If we're going to truly influence our beginnings, then we need to first identify what they are. That's the first step. That's the start. Okay, okay, okay. Let's try this again. New idea. We start with defining what the start is. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, sports, and pop culture. On this week's show, we talk beginnings. When does something start? And why does that matter? My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. There is a saying, it's not how you start that matters, but how you finish. But what if how you finish is in fact dictated by how you start? If that is true, then we must first define when something starts so that we can give it the focus and attention it deserves. However, for many things, that is very hard to do. And when does a relationship start? There are like defining moments, right? Like I said, I do to this woman on this date. And you're like, that's the first day of our marriage. But that's not the first day of this journey, right? I mean, yeah. And even to say, like, if you want to get super reductive, even to say that the day you met your future wife was the beginning of that journey, that's also not true. And even if you define a start for you, there's another person involved. Well, what's interesting though is that when you when you're using relationship as an example right like once you bring somebody else in like you no longer dictate the terms through which beginnings happen like i can decide every day that i'm going to be new and fresh and a new person whatever but um that other person has to also be on the same page and this is not only true in one-on-one -on -one relationships of all kinds but in anything involving more than one person a team a business a family a country when others are involved, there are simply too many moving parts and variables to actually define when everything started for the individuals or the group as a whole. And so eventually... Things have been moving, but we just have to choose moments that represent something because otherwise, how would we cope? As human beings, we must make sense of things. Things need to be defined and have meaning. And beginnings are no different. Who decided that January 1st was the start of the year. In fact, in some cultures, January 1st isn't the start of the year. In a seemingly endless universe with seemingly endless time in our hands, in order to cope, we need a beginning. So we draw a line. Sometimes beforehand, we say, I am starting tomorrow. Sometimes in that very moment, okay, starting now. And sometimes we only label it looking back. I can see now when it started.
Let's take a song, for example. A song is never finished. The version we know is just when it was recorded. You know, Paul McCartney likely woke up the day after yesterday went to press and thought, oh man, I want to change that lyric. Oh my baby, how I love your legs. Not as much as I love scrambled eggs. Oh, we should eat some scrambled eggs. Waffle fry. But it was too late. The song was finished. The ending was chosen. We pick an end and decide this is it. But that's not really the end. It's just a point. And a start is just as arbitrary as an end. Beginnings are ever-present. Beginnings are always there. They always say every ending is a beginning. Take this episode of Where There's Smoke. With so many ideas and thoughts included, it is impossible to say when it started. (laughs) We finished the episode, now you start this other process. The the, the reality is you you are in a constant state of starting. Like beginnings are, like you just said, beginnings are ever present. Like every moment you're starting, you're starting. And and if beginnings matter, what we're saying is that now matters. And you've got to be present because you never know when you're going to look back in time and you're going to be like, that was the start. That's the show. No, no, no. We don't need to play the music. We don't need to start the show to start the show. Remember, the show is always starting. Really what we're talking about? is being present in every moment. The ability to stay present in moments is one of the greatest challenges of being a human being. From a very young age, we are rewarded not for being, but for doing. Adults around us did not say things like, oh my gosh, did you see him just sitting there, staring into space, being? No, they got excited when we rolled over, when we made a sound, when we took a step. And so very early on, we stopped practicing being and start focusing on how we can do more. And in our doing, we got wrapped up in time and labels and stories. The truth is, you won't know when something starts any more than you'll know when it ends. Those labels are arbitrary, and their definitions are moving targets. And when we choose to focus on the start, or believe that how we finish is what really matters, we are equally distracting ourselves from being in the only moment we are sure of, the now. Look, we here at WTS are not astrophysicists or anything like that, but the notion of time as a linear concept, past, present, future, has been challenged since Einstein who said, the distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. Julian Barber argues that there isn't a past or future, just a series of nows. And Neil deGrasse Tyson talks of a coordinate, a location, made up of where you are in space and where you are in time. Time as a line we can travel does not exist. We are, we are prisoners in the present, locked in the eternal transition between our past and our future. And so if you choose to accept some elements of these ideas, then time itself is more complex than we originally thought. And it follows that the very idea of a beginning is difficult to pin down. However, as we mentioned earlier, in order to help us cope, it is necessary for us to find a way of making sense of our place and time. We need to create lines, starts, stops. And so if we are talking about getting better at being present, well, even if it is arbitrary, tomorrow morning, 
is as good a time to start as any. In the second act of this episode, I talk with Hal Elrod, and we explore a simple and yet tremendously powerful way to start your days and be more present. Because just as the beginning of the universe continues to echo all around us, being present at the start of your day will echo throughout your whole day. And if you string enough of those days together, your whole life. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. Because that gives me agency and control to say like, oh, well, now's the start. Because there is no start and there is no end. So now. Hey, everyone, it's Brett. So periodically, Nick ponders this concept. What are where there's smoke listeners called? It's strangely important to him. I like I like labels. What, what can I say? Ultimately, he wants you all to have some sort of name. Now, unrelated, this past weekend, I said this on Twitter. A group of geese is a gaggle, and a group of where there's smoke listeners is a community. So grateful for the support, conversations, and love. This morning, these two things collided, and I found myself looking up animal group names on the internet, and I was blown away at how cool some of them are. Okay, so for example, a group of coyotes, a band. Kind of cool, right? A band of coyotes. Now that's the least coolest one. A group of rattlesnakes? A group of rattlesnakes is a rumba. A rumba of rattlesnakes. Or rhinos, or rhinoceroses, which is kind of a mouthful. Actually, when I asked Nick, he guessed romance, which is pretty awesome. A romance of rhinos. Second only to the truth, mind you, which is a crash. A crash of rhinos. Look out, everyone! Here comes a crash of rhinos! Stingrays? A fever. C come on! A fever of stingrays? Amazing. Okay, and this last one, when I found this out, I, I couldn't even believe it was true. I mean, I double, triple, quadruple checked it on the internet. A group of lizards. It's, <laughs> I can't even say it. It's a lounge. I'm not making that up. It is a lounge of lizards. That is a true story. So we're open to suggestions. And again, this would really be our gift to Nick, who definitely deserves it after bringing out his inner Jeff Emmerich in this episode. What do we call where there's smoke listeners? If you have some ideas, email us, find us on Twitter. Let's see what we come up with. All right, back to the show. We are now going to continue the conversation around starting, which is really around being. How can we start our days as our best selves? Present, grounded, focused, grateful, learning, energized. My guest is Hal Elrod, creator of The Miracle Morning. The Miracle Morning started as a theory for Hal himself. If he changed the way he started every day, would it enable him over time, day by day, to become the person he believed he needed to be? to achieve what he wanted in his life. I was introduced to the Miracle Morning back in 2012, and the practice has been transformational in my life. I am constantly still shocked at the difference in my days when I execute it compared to when I don't. As we jump into the conversation, you'll hear some echoes from ideas earlier in the show on setting the tone for your day. 
And soon after that, Hal is going to break down the six specific practices of the Miracle Morning and why it is so effective. Yeah, and I have to say, I mean, when I first read the book, one of the things I loved about it is I, I've had this saying, and, and I have no scientific evidence for this. It's very anecdotal. But I've always said that I believe that, you know, what you absorb and kind of what happens in the first 20 minutes of your day sets the tone for your day. And yeah. so it's one of the reasons I, I never would watch the news in the morning. I'd always make sure if I was listening to music, I was listening to positive music, or if I was reading something, I was reading positive articles, or, you know, now I have a son, I play with my son first thing in the morning. I, I always believed that, like it sets the tone for your day. And and when I remember when I read this book, I went, oh, God, this is such an amazing way to set my tone. And this episode specifically of the podcast, one of the things we're talking about is is really the psychology of starting things and, and what it means to, to start things. And, you know, one of the things that as I was researching this, there's a saying, right, that it's not how you start, it's how you finish that matters. And I'm and I, as I, and I read I read that everywhere. And I think, OK, well, that's true. I get that. But it also really, really matters how you start. And I did so much research and I found so much less on how important it is how you start than you can find on how important it is how you finish. And so I, w I really wanted to ask you, like, why is it or how is it or, you know, what's your take on really why it is so important about how you start your day? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, I appreciate you sharing that because it's interesting. That's an interesting distinction that I've, I've never made. I've never thought of that or, or heard anyone put it in that frame, which is, you know, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, right? Yeah. Which I've, I've lived by when I was in sales and I was, you know, in the middle of a sales contest and I was way off of my goal. I'm like, all right, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, you know? Um, but, you know, Steve Pavlina, another guy I really learned from, uh, stevepavlina.com, he is a self-development, you know, author, blogger, et cetera. And uh, for a while, he had like the top personal development blog on, you know, on the net, I think, or, or it was up there. But um, he called, he did an article once called The Rudder of the Day. And he essentially said, kind of like a rudder steers a ship, whatever direction the rudder is pointed, right, that determines the direction that the ship goes. And he said, the, the morning is like the rudder of your day, where whichever, whatever, you know, whatever happens during your morning, that sets the direction for your entire day. So if you think about it, when the alarm clock goes off in the morning, here's a real specific answer to your question. Um, when the alarm clock goes off in the morning, it's, I believe it's life's first gift to us. It's life's first opportunity to, to kind of show up as who are we going to be? Are we going to be, you know, are we going to lack the self-discipline to get our butt out of bed in the morning, right? Are we going to start the day by hitting the snooze button, which is literally procrastinating? And if you think about it, I believe we're sending a message to the universe and to our subconscious that says, I'd rather lay here unconscious than to create the extraordinary life I claim to want. Because we have the alarms going off, you have that opportunity to do anything with those 10, 20, 30, however long, right? Those minutes. And we choose to lay there unconscious rather than dedicate time and energy to become the person that we need to be that can create the life that we really want. Right. Yeah. So that's that that to me is the what the morning's all about is it's it's starting the day and dedicating time. This is what the miracle morning is in its essence. It's starting the day by dedicating time and energy to become the person that you need to be that can create anything you want for your life. It's becoming a better version of who you were when the alarm clock went off the, you know, that morning or, or when you went to bed the night before. What I wanted to ask you, and I think maybe we've talked about some of it with, with these ideas, but what is it that you feel makes this book and this process so different from others out there regarding the same topic? Because there are certainly, I'm sure, some others. The, the Miracle Morning does three things, I think, really well, and that's what it, that, what's made it so effective. Number one is 
um, it, it spends a good amount of time creating a context around morning, like the importance of a morning ritual. So it's kind of like by the, you know, the end of the first couple chapters, you're like, wow, I never, I never, I never realized what I was missing out on by not having a morning success ritual, right? right. And some people, their morning ritual, they have when they're like, oh, I'm an early riser, but they get up and just check Facebook or check email or watch the news, right? Not really that effective at, at personal, you know, personally developing yourself. But so the first thing is it really makes a compelling case um, and gives you a really powerful kind of, kind of like solidified um, uh, perspective on, wow, this is something I like, I have no choice but to try this if I really want to take my life to the next level. The second thing it does is it teaches you what to do when you wake up. Those six practices I mentioned that I, I created for my, I didn't create them. They're all, I mean, they're, they're age old practices, but no one had ever combined them before. No one had ever simplified them in that way before. So they're called the life savers and savers is an acronym that my beautiful wife helped me think of when I was writing the book and I was frustrated going, how the hell am I going to organize these in a way that makes sense? Right. <laughs> She goes, why don't you get a thesaurus and like, you know, make an acronym? I'm like, oh, you're so brilliant. So this, the, the word savers is the acronyms. S for silence, A for affirmations, V for visualization, E for exercise, R for reading, S for scribing, which is a fancy way or fancy word for writing or journaling. And, and the first element, silence, is meditation, prayer, uh, or a combination of, the, of both, whichever works for you. So those are the six practices. So it teaches you what to do when you wake up. So it's not just wake up early. It's wake up early, do these six things to, to catapult, to skyrocket, to accelerate your personal development and, and how fast you can become, you know, the next level uh, that you're capable of being. And then last but possibly most important, is the shortest chapter in the book. It's called the five steps news proof wake up strategy. And I really believe and I didn't I didn't realize it at the time when I wrote it. I didn't think I didn't I didn't I didn't get a lot of the stuff that I did in that book right. I didn't get until I did it and I was able to look back and go, wow, thank goodness I did that. Thank goodness I did that, right? Um but the uh the five step snooze proof wake up strategy is it teaches you how to beat the snooze button. If you are not a morning person and you've never been a morning person in your life and you don't believe you even could be that has been the linchpin because if there was only the first two parts where it did the best job in the world at, at, at you know, selling people on the, the more the importance of morning routine, if it gave them the best ritual possible, but it didn't teach them how to beat the snooze button, then, you know, roughly 70% of Americans and probably people around the world, um, they would have read it. They would might have liked it. They might have tried it for a few days and then they would have fallen back into their old patterns. But because of this simple, short, tiny chapter on the five steps to beat the snooze button, you know, that has been the biggest difference. What I love about the miracle morning is, yeah, like my ideal miracle morning is 30 minutes. That's my ideal one. I mean, I'd love to get it up to 60, but right now 30, I feel great. Yeah. But you've, you, in the book, you talk about like, hey, there's six different things you do. And you say, look, even if you just did them all for a minute, and I've had so many situations, how where I'm on the road, I'm in a hotel room, I'm speaking that day, I'm training that day, I get up late or, I, or I'm just exhausted. And I'm like, well, I got six minutes. And the fact that I can meditate for one minute, you know, say gratitude for one minute, write for one minute, read for one minute, you know, just do a minute of jumping jacks. And I feel incredible yeah. doing a six minute miracle morning and it blows my mind. Like it really blows my mind that that six minutes can make a difference. And so one of the things I love about this book, and I, I share this for the readers out there, is that you know, you do make it so you can kind of, the, the change is manageable and, and it doesn't have to be this huge thing, but the little thing actually makes a big difference. 
Yeah, you know, the, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, it's the six minute miracle morning wasn't. It's not. It sounds to me, it sounds gimmicky. Like if I heard that, I'd be like, yeah, right, yeah, right. bullshit. Like that's the you know, some like eight minute abs or whatever. <laughs> right, like come yeah. on. Um, but uh, but it, it, it wasn't it, just like the book in and of itself. It wasn't an idea I had for the book. It was something for me where there were just a lot of days where I'm like, because I, I I would always do an, a, a one hour miracle morning, and on the days where I felt like I didn't, yeah, I gotta leave in twenty minutes. Um, I would, I would just, it was all or nothing and I didn't do it. And then just, there was one day where I'm like, wait, what if I did one minute for each of the lifesavers, right? The six practices. And I, like you said, I did one minute of meditation, right? And just got calm and quiet and, oh, like feels good. Right. And then I pulled out my affirmations and it really only took a minute to, you know, to read over the one page of affirmations. Then I pulled out me and I pulled out my journal and I just wrote a few things I was grateful for. I, I pulled out a book, I read a page, right? And it was like, it was one tenth of the time you know, normally an hour down to six minutes. It was one tenth of the time I was used to, but I felt like I got like 80% of the benefit. That's the crazy part, right? So it's like, there's not too many things in life that you can do one tenth of the time and get 80% of the benefit, right? You can't exercise for one tenth of the time. You get 80% of the benefit you had if you had done 100%, right? And I can't emphasize it enough to everyone out there. I mean, it's funny you use that example, right? For, I think immediately of, uh, right, that scene from something called Mary. He picks up the hitchhiker and the guy's like, forget seven minutes on, <laughs> we're going to do six, right? And I, I'm just telling everyone out there, like, if you don't, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe Hal, then just take the I'll do it once challenge because it yeah. is amazing. It is amazing. In six minutes, I mean, it's just incredible what a shift it creates in the tone of my day when I do it. And so I love that because again, you know, we're all busy people and there are going to be days like that. Right. Yeah. And I always tell people like that your goal shouldn't be to do six minutes. Like that's not what you no, aspire to. No, right? no. Um, and obviously also the longer you've done the miracle morning and like you do a 30 minute version, I do 60 minute version and it is scalable. Um, the, the more effective those six minutes are, right? Because right. you can kind of go to your happy place. I mean, I mean you're, you know, you, you're like, Oh yeah, I, I know what it feels like to meditate. So I can go back there. I mean, like you, once you're used to the miracle morning, then those six minutes can really, they're almost an anchor for the 60, right? So it's almost yeah. like you in those six. That's why I think it's part of the reason that you get such a benefit if you've done it for longer periods of time, you know? So yeah, it's kind of, kind of the best of both. Yeah. I just want to say, A, thank you for coming on the show, but also B, congratulations because you've, you know, you've earned it, um, both in your work, but also in the fact that you've put something together that, that truly is being of service to people. Thank you, Brett. I, very, very kind words, man. And I, I received them. I, I really, really appreciate that. Go order the book if you don't have it already. And, and again, Hal, thanks so much for joining me today. Awesome. Take care, everybody. All right, buddy. Take care. Two resources Hal wanted me to share with you. To get in touch with him personally, go to halelrod.com. But most importantly, he wanted me to encourage all of you to join the Miracle Morning community on Facebook. And I will back that up, especially with something like the Miracle Morning, which is an ongoing process of change and growth. You are going to have so much more success and get so much more value when you have a community of support to interact with. So search for that on Facebook, join it, then go grab the book and start changing your life one morning at a time. Can I ask you for a few minutes to share something and honor someone who is definitely a pivotal force to me and many of you? Last week, we had something pretty incredible happen for the show. About three weeks ago, I connected with Lulu Miller, the co-host of NPR's Invisibilia on Twitter. I sent her a real simple tweet. Love Invisibilia and would be honored if you gave where there's smoke a listen. Share similar DNA, hashtag Radiolab, hashtag TAL, and I gave her the URL. 
That same day, Lulu tweeted me back and said, will do, and asked for a place to start or a gateway drug, as she put it. Some of you may know that Lulu started at Radiolab. I was first turned on to Radiolab five years ago with their Limits episode, and I have a visceral memory of then listening to the Who I Am episode on a flight and just soaking it in. And it has been a major part of my life as a learner ever since, and this podcast would not exist if I had never heard Radiolab. So combo that with Invisibilia, and frankly, when Lulu tweeted me back, I felt a little bit like a starstruck teenager. Anyway, fast forward, not only did she listen and email me back a week later that she loved it, but last week she shared that sentiment with all of her Twitter followers, and she said this, Craving another mental health podcast? Try at Brett Gaida where there's smoke. It's like getting hit by a freight train of ideas and experiments. As many of you have heard me say, I am a big believer that we are all in this together. And so Lulu just tweeting me back and saying, will do, meant so much to me. Whether she was gonna like it or not, well, that's just taste. And her opinion would not have changed the generosity that she showed us. The fact that she loved it and then shared it with her community, wow. I mean, on top of being such an amazing feeling for me, it was again, just tremendously generous. So I wanted to say thank you to her on the show for the incredible work that she creates and puts out there and for her support of our work. And I also wanna say thank you to anyone listening right now who took a chance on our show because of Lulu's recommendation. I have been shamelessly telling everyone I know and strangers on Twitter because I do believe that we have a great show. You know, I believe what you tell me, which is that we're making a difference, that it's a positive force in the world and that you love it. So thank you for taking the trust that Lulu earned with you and lending it to us to take a listen. We will do our best to earn that trust as well. With that, we are getting into the home stretch of our show, and holy moly, could I shout out so many people this week. Our listeners have been amazing. Let's see how many I can squeeze in. iTunes reviews, Holly Kupeli from Turkey, Kristen Sarah in Canada who has a crush on the show. It wants you to know it likes you too. RDM1210, sharing that we are the only podcast he regularly listens to more than once. And the review of the week goes to Fizzy Lizzie. I thought of the name for the drug. Gleaminex. Who wrote, thanks guys for helping me feel like it's 72 degrees in my head all the time. And for the Twitter love, where do we start? Vanessa Pino for your awesome blog post on our Twitter exchange. Betty Wood, at This Is Kyra Maya. Tara Backland, at Casey McKenzie. MTV Real World Challenge rock star Sarah Rice. Simone Ann, at Summer Brennan. At Kintari, the girl with the fox tattoo. And Julie Jurgens for giving us a second chance after a shaky first impression. Seems very fitting with this week's topic. Please keep the conversations going out there. Let's shower Twitter in where there's smoke hashtags and we could really use your written reviews on iTunes. So if you haven't written one yet, we would so appreciate it if you took the time. Other ways to stay connected and in conversation, 
Join our mailing list at wherethersmoke.co or just text the word SMOKE to 66866 right now and you can join it that way. Become a fan on Facebook. Go to our website and leave a voicemail. You got a question, a comment, or just want to say how much to dig the show? We would love to hear from you and we'd love to share your voice on a future episode. Where There's Smoke is conceived, written, produced, edited, hosted, marketed, catered, and meticulously cared for by Brett Guida and Nick Jaworski. If you want to talk to Nick about helping make your podcast sound awesome, go to podcastmonster.com. And if you want to talk to me, Brett Guida, about coaching or speaking at events, email me at connect at wherethersmoke.co. Our theme song was written and performed by Des McKinney with additional music by Kevin McLeod. And now it is time for our clip of the week. And if it isn't Paul McCartney and Jimmy Fallon singing scrambled eggs, well then I don't even know what world I'm living in anymore. Well, with that, all great things must come to an end, even if they don't in fact ever end. But we have to clean up, so you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Every new beginning comes from some other beginnings end. Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next week.